I had another profound musical experience this past Thursday. It was something really special that I've been looking forward to uh, for a couple months now. I got to introduce our Ukirk folks to one of my favorite bands, Mike Maines and the Branches. They're an indie rock band that I've been following for about nine or ten years now. Lisa and I have seen them live more than a handful of times. So when they announced a stop on their latest tour that was in Richmond on a Thursday night, I knew what I had to do. This was going to be our Ukirk event that night. But this particular show was interesting. It was part of their living room tour. This is an entire tour hosted by their fans directly. They played very small, intimate acoustic shows in people's actual homes. And while it sounds like a very awkward night in the making, it was actually really special and unique. It was relaxed, and it gave a lot of opportunities for fans to interact with Mike in between the songs. So during the set, Mike was asked a question about songwriting and what his process was like. And basically, he said that he's impassioned by the idea that you can take a guitar or a piano, sit down with absolutely nothing on the page, and then 20 minutes later have the beginnings of a melody, a chord progression, and lyrics telling a meaningful story. Songwriting, as he described it, is taking nothing but raw materials, a guitar, a voice, pen, and paper, and turning it into something beautiful and meaningful that wasn't there before. That's what this morning's passage is about. It's about starting from ground zero, taking nothing, turning it into something. It's about investing into a vision of something beautiful that doesn't quite exist outside of a dream, but sitting down anyway and banging out the chords, chiseling away at the stones, and working diligently with time, talents, passion, and energy until that dream is a reality. It's about creating something that you might not have realized was even possible in the first place. This is the story of Haggai and God's people. So hear these words from Haggai 2. On the 21st day of the seventh month, the Lord's word came through Haggai the prophet. Say to Judah's governor, Zerubbabel, Shealtiel's son, and to the chief priest, Joshua, Jehozadak's son, and to the rest of the people, who among you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Doesn't it appear as nothing to you? So now, be strong, Zerubbabel, says the Lord. Be strong, high priest Joshua, Jehozadak's son. And be strong, all you people of the land, says the Lord. Work, for I am with you, says the Lord of heavenly forces. As with our agreement, when you came out of Egypt, my spirit stands in your midst. Don't fear. This is what the Lord of heavenly forces says. In just a little while, I will make the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the dry land quake. I will make the nations quake. The wealth of all the nations will come, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of heavenly forces. The silver and the gold belong to me. And this house will be more glorious than its predecessor. I will provide prosperity in this place. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I'm going to venture a guess that many of us are not that familiar with Haggai. 
So let's set the scene a little bit, give some context for why I'm preaching on this passage. The book of Haggai is one of the minor prophet texts. It's very short, only two two chapters. You could read it in half an hour or less. It's set after the Babylonian exile, the people coming back to the land of Judah after the Persians overtook the Babylonians. They're readjusting to life post-exile, picking up the pieces of what was left, literally in some ways. Conditions for the people were unstable and dangerous, even with being back in their own land. But they have a governor named Zerubbabel and a high priest named Joshua to lead them. Enter the prophet Haggai. We don't know much about Haggai other than that he was a prophet. So as most of the prophets of the Hebrew scriptures do, Haggai calls the people out for not remembering what was most important of all, what the foundation of their identity and personhood was. They are God's people. Their trust and devotion to God should be at the forefront of their lives. But they haven't been minding that. And this was shown by the temple still lying in ruins. The temple was the center of all Jewish life, religiously, socially, politically. It was the sign and symbol of God's presence with the people. So with its structure still being scattered and destroyed, their whole sense of identity as God's people was thrown into question. And even though the people of Judah are scattered and struggling themselves, Haggai, speaking on behalf of God, is calling them back to reprioritize the one thing that will save them and help them regroup, their devotion and trust in God, reclaiming their primary identity. So they do it. They heed Haggai's words to reprioritize and to rebuild the temple. And God is pleased with this. But about a month in, they get stuck. They start to doubt. Why should we keep working? What's the point? How could it ever measure up to what was before? That's the tricky thing about nostalgia. It can be fun and sweet to remember the good things about the past. It can remind us of all the good we've experienced. But just like a kid eating too many sweets, if you indulge too much, you get sick. Your stomach hurts, and suddenly everything about the present that you might try to take in starts to taste bitter in comparison. You can't keep anything down, especially the stuff that's good for you. So God responds to the people's nostalgia. I get it. It was pretty cool. But you can't go back. So be strong, Zerubbabel. Be strong, Joshua. Be strong, all you people. Keep going. Keep rebuilding. I am with you. Just like I promised when I delivered you from Egypt, my spirit is in your midst. I won't leave you. This is healthy nostalgia. God affirms their feelings of missing the old temple, and they are reminded how God has saved them and given them new life in the past, but God tells them not to get stuck there. They are reminded that God is with them in the present, active, moving, all together here in their midst to help them carry forward from their past trauma. But God also speaks a word about the future to the people. What you're doing in the present moment is worthwhile because it will help bring my vision for the future to fruition. My vision of dwelling with you, seeing each other face to face, and bringing justice and peace to all the earth. You're helping me 
carry my vision into the future with the investment of your time, your passions, and your energy, and your effort towards rebuilding the temple. The rebuilding of the temple will be the vehicle for God's glory and prosperity to engulf the earth. And prosperity here is the Hebrew word shalom, God's all-encompassing peace and well-being for the world. Not profit and indulgence like we might think about it, but equity and peace and justice for all people. These building blocks, literally, that the people are carrying are the people's investment and the people's work in helping God make this vision of shalom a reality. So what are our building blocks? What are we bringing to the table to invest into the reality of God's realm coming in full into this world? Now, I'm not a finance person. That's why I'm in ministry. But thankfully, investing in the church is not primarily about money, although that's part of it. That's why we have today. And it's not just literal building blocks. Investing into God's vision for the future is about offering all that we are. As Ginger told the kids a moment ago, we offer our gifts, our talents, our perspectives, the things that make us uniquely ourselves, our God-given personhood. And of course, that includes any type of financial gain we might receive, but we put all these things together and invest them into God's vision by being in community, a diverse community, full of unique and beautiful children of God, all seeking to be God's people out in the world. And I've witnessed some of our building blocks here during my time at this community. I've seen former teachers and educators and others using their passion and expertise to help tutor the children at Chimborazo Elementary. I've seen our earth keepers help us discover new ways that we can be more faithful stewards of creation especially as we claim the title of Earth Care Congregation. I've seen our exploration and discernment of how we might faithfully respond to the issue of gun violence with classes and advocacy and ringing our church bell. I've seen folks who are willing to offer their time and their vehicles to transport our neighbors who have ICE check-in appointments on the south side and legal appointments in Arlington. And of course, I've seen our volunteers who show up Monday after Monday to serve our hungry neighbors. Folks hungry not just for food, by the way, but for community and affirmation that someone out there cares about them. These are just some of the things I've witnessed here at Second. I'm sure you've seen countless others. Imagine what else God might be calling us to as we head into our 175th year as a congregation. But it's also easy to not invest, to not give back, because we often can't see what God sees. So many things block or obstruct our own vision. In our passage from Luke this morning, Jesus warns the people about the hardships and trials they will face as his followers. The immediate context of this passage was the early Christian church, the community that we read about in Acts. But don't these words sound somewhat familiar the things we're experiencing today and that we've experienced throughout human history. Nations and kingdoms fighting against each other, betrayal and division, family member against family member, 
being attacked and ostracized for what we believe and standing up for God's truth and justice. Still, Jesus says to hold fast. The NRSV translation said to have endurance. This is just like God telling the people of Judah to be strong. Both the Hebrew word in Haggai and the Greek in Luke mean the same thing. Persevering and steadfast patience. We're called to be steadfast despite these roadblocks. What else might be obstructing our vision? Of course, we have political divisions. We're divided over big questions about the identity of this country and who we're supposed to be as Americans. We have church decline across denominations and faiths. We're confused about our identity as God's people. Why should we even bother anymore? It's not what it used to be. People don't seem to care anymore. There's that nostalgia creeping in. And literally here at Second Pres, we're building something new right over there. We're working on new ways to carry out our call to loving God and neighbor with our building space. And at times, especially if you come here during the week, that might seem a little frustrating and pretty disruptive. It can be hard to see what it's going to become while it's still raw materials and stripped back walls and floors. But ideally, it's going to help us carry out God's call for us in new and potentially unforeseen ways. And while it's good to remember how many good times we've had as a church in the past, all the wonderful and life-giving ways we've experienced God and holy community and friendship, we can't dwell there forever. As Mary Grace Reynolds reminded me earlier this week, Aslan the lion tells Lucy Pivensey in one of the Narnia stories, nothing ever happens the same way twice, and we can never know what could have been, but what will happen is another matter altogether. God reminded the people of Judah and reminds us today of the same. Nothing ever happens the same way twice, and we can never know what could have been if things had gone differently. But God is present with us here and now. God is not stuck in the past. God calls us to focus on what's right in front of us. Just like a songwriter or any artist, God speaks these words to, it, to us to inspire, to fill us with passion, to envision and imagine what could be in the future. Be strong, be strong, be strong, my people. Hold fast, keep going. Even if you're afraid, I am with you. So today, we're invited to invest into God's vision by offering our own building blocks for where we think God is leading us. We take an intentional time today to offer all that we are as a people, not just to this church, but to God. We're part of this church family and this community of faith because we believe God directs us, that God is alive and active and working in our midst to make this world into something new, something better than it is despite our faults and failures. And here's another thing to remember that's important. It's not ultimately about the material things. It's not about the building. It's not about making sure the staff gets paid, although admittedly, that's an interest of mine. 
It's not about upkeep, and it's not about all the material things we can do with this money to help ourselves and make us more comfortable. It's about placing our ultimate trust in God. It's about putting our faith in God at the forefront of our lives and showing that through tangible means. The widow at the beginning of the Luke passage is, of course, a beautiful example of this. This church, this space, and these resources are merely the vessels and modes of transportation for us to work with God and carrying out God's vision. Like the people of Judah being called by Haggai to rebuild the temple, we give ourselves and invest into God's vision for the future to remember one foundational and primary truth. We belong to God. And there's nothing in this world that can separate us from God's love. So whether we live or whether we die, we are God's. All that we are, all that we have, belongs to God. What a beautiful thing. A body of people coming together, going in collectively to support God's vision. Not just emotionally or metaphorically, but literally, tangibly. This is holy work. And thanks be to God, we're given the opportunity to do it. Thanks be to God that we are given the resources to offer a witness to the faith we claim, to the city of Richmond and beyond. We are God's. This world is God's. And this world is full of holy possibility. May we be inspired and empowered to do our part to help see through God's vision for the world, a place of shalom and prosperity for all people everywhere. Please pray with me. God, we thank you. We thank you for being present with us here in this space, for being present with us wherever we go. We pray that as we consider the ways we can be our people, that you would inspire us and empower us to invest our whole selves, not just part of us, but our whole selves, into being your people out in the world and claiming our identity as your people for the sake of your realm made realized here in this world. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.